Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me once again to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. The Old Testament book of Habakkuk and Habakkuk in chapter number 3. Habakkuk and chapter number 3. Of course, we're in the midst of our <coughs> little series of the minor prophets, taking one minor prophet a week and examining them. We took this morning and we examined the book of Habakkuk and saw that this was a conversation between the prophet and between his God. And seeing that at the very beginning, he said all these problems and all these things, and at the end, he found his solution in the Lord. By the way, that's where most of our solution is. It's found in the Lord. And that we have to look at Him. And that He is big enough. He is able to take care of anything. We must depend and trust on Him. And now we find our way to the book of Habakkuk in chapter number 3. The book of Habakkuk chapter number 3. And we want to put our attention on something specific that we find here in the book of Habakkuk chapter 3. And notice with me in verse number 1. Habakkuk chapter 3 in verse number 1. A prayer of Habakkuk... The prophet upon Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Notice that phrase in wrath, um, sorry, in that phrase, revive us, revive thy work. Revive thy work. And here we're going to see the heart cry for revival as the prophet Habakkuk is praying for revival. The heart cry for revival, revive thy work. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God and the great privilege is to be in your house. And now as we turn to the great subject of revival and we could see your great heart for us that we would see our place, see what you want to do, and this would become the burden of our heart. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us now and that you would revive us in the midst of years. In wrath, remember mercy. Help us to have a better understanding of revival. Help us to see more about what you would have, that we'd be a people of prayer and people whose great hope is in you to give us revival. Thank you, Lord, and we love you. Fill me with your spirit now. Do a work. In Jesus' name. Amen. Revival is such an important subject in the Bible. Now, there's often misunderstandings. Revival is not salvation. Salvation is a place where a person comes realizing that they're a sinner and because of their sin that they've offended a holy, righteous God. But they realize that Jesus died for them and they personally accept Christ as their Savior. We're thankful for salvation. Salvation is wonderful. But revival is not for the lost. The revival is for the saved. Revival carries the idea of the, tr the, the interpretation, new 
life. Or sorry, life again. Not new life, but life again. You understand, we as Christians have passed from death to life. We have life because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes we allow, as a southern term, we let our wood get wet. We get to the place where we get used to be in a Christian. We forget what it was to be lost. And we forget what it is to be forgiven. We get to the place where we get to the status quo. We get to the place where Christianity is normal. Christianity, we know how to do the things. We stand up at the right time. We sit down at the right time. We say amen at the right time. We get stuck in a routine. We get stuck in a rut. And as my old pastors used to say, that all a rut is is a grave with both ends knocked out. It's just a place where we die. There's no life. And by the way, we get used to living the Christian life without Christ. We find ways to do it ourselves. We get to a routine and we're no longer dependent upon God. And when we're no longer dependent on God, then there's no fire left. We become cold. The Bible talks about it in the book of Revelation. That Jesus said, I'd worth that you were hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out. It makes God sick. God says, I want you to be on fire. How do we be on fire? Revival. It fans those flames. It gets them hot. And it gets us to the place where we're looking towards God and dependent upon God. It is a new life that we have. Revival is when we turn our pl- to the place where we're ready to be obedient. We're prepared to be obedient. We're planning on being obedient. And God pours out His Spirit upon His people. That's what we're looking for is God's Spirit. But He has to have us prepared for revival. Some people have an idea that revival is almost like a rainstorm and that just wherever he decides to put it, he'll open it up and it just comes down. But God actually has called us in the Bible and told us that there is a preparation for it. There is a prayer that goes before it. And as you study the great revivals, none of them have come without prayer. And all of them have brought people to the place of looking towards God. Sometimes people have a misunderstanding of revival and they have the idea that they were sitting in a church meeting and all of a sudden the angels of heaven begin to sing. The light descends down. There's a great awe. And all of a sudden inside of the whole room is thick with the presence of God and all kinds of things happen. But may I tell you, revival does not come upon a church. It comes upon an individual and spreads to the church. Revival is an individual matter. And so sometimes when we're expecting revival in the church, and we say that because we do want that, but we have the expectation that it's going to catch on fire at church, that the preacher's going to say something so profound that all of a sudden the altars will shake. The pews are where you're at is going to change. You're going to be flung from where you're at to the altars, and there's going to be weeping and getting right. And you know, I want a service like that. But where does revival occur? At home. It comes in your prayer closet. It comes when you make decisions in your personal life. I'm going to be obedient. And God puts his spirit upon you. And now that you're thoroughly right. And you're filled with the spirit. And you're prayed up. 
that other people start saying, I want whatever she has. I want whatever he has. And they start desiring the same thing that you prayed. Then it spreads like fire. You understand, these are some principles we have to understand. Revival is not going to come from a church service, typically. Revival is going to come from someone's prayer closet and spread to the church service. In fact, the times that it spread in a church service, it came from some sweet little old ladies had been praying for years by themselves. You understand, revival is an individual matter. And without, without this, revival not coming to a church or revival not coming to an individual is not God's fault. It's an individual's fault. Because we don't have the burden for revival. We'll talk more about that in a second. But you understand there are some principles about revival that we have to understand if we're going to talk about revival. First of all, we understand that God desires to work through us. God desires to work through us. One of the most mysterious and magnificent truths of the Bible is that God uses human instrumentality. We've been talking about this in our soul winning clinic on Saturdays about why God uses human instrumentality. I mean, he could have wrote the gospel in the clouds. He could have wrote it inside of uh, the mountains. He could have done it any other way. Why would he use us? The evidence of a changed life. The mountains cannot have a changed life. The sky cannot pronounce of a changed life. But a person who's an encounter with the Lord, they could testify about what God has done in them. The same thing's true about revival. Revival is when an individual gets thoroughly right with God. And they come to the place where they're so desirous to see God work. And they begin to pray and labor in prayer. And they set themselves up for God's disposal. That God use me and God will. You understand God desires to work through us. There is no other way. Remember, revival is an individual matter that can spread. But God is using human instrumentality. He is not going to catch your Bible on fire in the midst of your Bible reading. He is not going to cause your radio to start singing angelic voices. It's going to come with you and your own walk with God. Another principle we understand with revival is that revival is our only hope. Revival is our only hope. When we look at our country now, there is no other hope than revival. Let me again give the definition of revival. Revival is not salvation. Revival is God's people getting back to the place where they're thoroughly right with God and prepared to be obedient to God's use. What does our country need? The Christians to get right with God. The problem with our country is not lost people. The problem with our country is not Washington. The problem with our state is not Madison. The problem is that church people no longer act like church people. 
and we no longer have the Spirit of God, and we're no longer on fire, we're no longer burdened, we're no longer dependent upon God, we're no longer looking at God, and we have no power over those around us. No power. We are lifeless Christians. We are Christians with no fire and no spark. And the only hope that our country has is for God's people, which are called by his name, shall turn back to God. That is our only hope. Revival is our only hope, is for God's people to be ready for God's spirit to pour out. And then God will use God's people to reach the world that we have and to change our world. Revival is our only hope. Something else we understand about revival when revival hits is that revival means a greater devotion to Christ. It increases that desire that I may know Him. Revival increases that devotion to Christ. By the way, may I say that this is also the greatest hindrance to revival? Because most Christians do not want it. You say, how do you know? Because we can't get them to read their Bible. You cannot know God without reading your Bible. We could barely get Christians to go to church. Why go to church? Because we're trying to find more about Jesus. It should be more about Him. We can't get Christians to pray. Prayer is all about speaking with God. One of the biggest hindrances to revival is that we just don't want it. We don't want to be close to God. You know when revival starts to burn? When you have the desire that I may know him. And that true revival will bring it to the place. I'd rather have Jesus than any of these things. If we were to be honest. And if you were to be honest. There are probably some things you would rather have than Christ. I mean you're fine with Christ having a decent portion. But you don't want him to have it all. And that's one of the biggest hindrance to revival. But at the same time, when revival happens, the rest of this stuff will not seem that important. We want Christ more than all these things. Something else about revival when it hits is that revival increases the labor force for Christ. Revival increases the labor force for Christ. What do we mean by this? Well, God said very clearly, he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Then how are all these people going to come to know Christ when Christians are right with God? And they're on fire. And they have the evidence of a changed life. Now they all want to go tell others about what Jesus did for me. The Bible says clearly about with the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 4. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God does the making. When revival happens and someone gets thoroughly right and they have a desire to follow after God, with it he makes them fishers of men and they're going out there. Revival will increase the labor force for Christ. Revival causes greater interest in the Lord's work. Revival causes greater interest in the Lord's work. They want to see God work. They want to see God move. They want to see ground taken. They want to have this pioneering spirit. 
part of what we've lost in our Christian life is that we no longer have a pioneering spirit. What do we mean by that? The pioneering spirit is going where no one else has gone, taking ground that no one else has fought for, moving forward and paying the cost, no matter what it takes to make that ground, to go up there. What people like today is buildings that they did not have to pay for. Pews that they did not have to sacrifice for. They like to sit in what someone else labored and sacrificed for. But the pioneering spirits to go where there's nothing there and plow and move across. There was once a young man who wrote a letter to David Livingston in Africa. And he said, I have an interest to joining you. Is there any easy way to get to where you're at? David Livingston wrote it back and said, I don't want you. I want someone who's willing to make a way if there's not already a way. We've lost that pioneering spirit. However, when revival comes, we're willing to see God's work spread and willing to do what it takes, even if there's not an easy way to get it done. Because God's spirit's guiding and opening doors and working. Something else about revival is that revival brings greater zeal to the Lord. And part of the armor of God that is mentioned in the book of Ephesians, it talks about that we're supposed to have our learns going with truth, having the helmet of salvation, having our feet shod with the helmet of peace, uh, with, with, uh, with peace, talking about having the shield of faith. But in the book of Isaiah, it adds another piece of the armor in that same list that's not mentioned, but we're also missing the cloak of zeal. Amen. The cloak of zeal. People aren't excited about God's work. They're not thrilled with it. Hey guys, we're going soul winning. All right, if I have to. We're going to church. All right, well, let's get this thing over with. We don't have a zeal for the things of the Lord anymore. No enthusiasm, no excitement, no thrillingness. When it comes time, when revival hits, it'll bring a zeal for the things of the Lord. Bring an enthusiasm that most people don't have. This is part of the things that revival brings. So with that being said, let's go to the book of Habakkuk here. And let's see this burden, this heart-filled cry for revival. The first thing I'd like to show you in Habakkuk chapter 3 is the burden for revival. The burden for revival. Now again, the context is that Habakkuk has been in a conversation with God. He's saying, look at our nation. It's falling apart. What are you going to do about it? And God says, I'm going to do a work in your day that if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. All right, God, what is it? Ye among the heathen. I'm sending the Babylonians to take your country captive, to destroy your nation, destroy the temple, and scatter you all over. And that's how I'm going to fix things. Okay. I mean, what do you say to that? When you know that it's just going to get worse. And what he realized is that God was his only hope. That God was going to do a work. God was going to work a work in his days. He was going to have to trust God. It didn't sound like it was fun. But you know what? It was necessary. And now he's saying, you know what? There's nothing we can do to fix it. It must be God. 
And so he begins to pray. Notice in verse uh, number 1, chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shiganoth. The word Shiganoth is an expression of profound and strong emotion. You notice what this is. God, please ring revival and thanks for this grub. When he's praying here, it's a burden. It's a heart-filled profession and strong emotion. God, you have to do something. God, please, you have to do something. This is a burden we have to have. When we realize revival is our only hope. As long as revival is a hope and not the only hope, we're not going to have the emotion, the begging, the burden. In fact, look at Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1 really quick. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. You understand he saw the need. He saw it with his eyes. He saw it with his spiritual eyes. He saw the need. And now with heart-filled emotion, he is praying to God. You understand this type of prayer is this persistent prayer. Jesus gives an example of praying and praying like he prayed in the gospel record of Luke chapter 11. And in that, he also does it in the gospel record of Matthew. He gives an example of this persistent praying that he explains. Here's a story of a man who comes to his friend's house in the middle of the night. What do you want? I have a guy who just came into my house. I have nothing to eat. I need some bread. Come give him something. No. No. He says, you don't understand. Back in those days, they didn't have nice houses like we did. They would have small houses. And oftentimes they would have one bed that the entire family would sit in. So here's the husband, here's the wife. Usually he'd be in the very corner. Then you'd have the wife and you had the kids all in the same bed. Now for those parents who remember those days, the last thing you want is the little kids to wake up. And here's this guy. Hey, I need something. Help me out. Shut up. Go to bed. Leave us alone. My family's in bed. No, you don't understand. I need some bread. And it says that he got up, not because of his friend, but because of his importunity. Now, some people will teach that said, well, it's that persistent knocking. No, 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 no. It's not the persistent knocking. It's the reason why he was knocking. Why in the world did he bother his friend at two o'clock in the morning? Because there was no quick trips. There was no McDonald's. There was no Walmart. There was nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. That's what Habakkuk's come to. He's coming with a burden that is not stopping. It's not a one-time prayer and it's not a 30-second prayer. It's a burden prayer. God, you've got to do something or else. God, you've got to work. There is no other chance. There is no other way. God, you've got to work. And with this burden and this heartbrokenness, understanding that this prayer, that only God can do something and he's not going to stop praying and he's going to continue to go to the throne of grace and he's going to continue to cry and he's going to continue to weep and he's going to continue to be burdened because there is no other hope. Destruction is coming to Jerusalem. 
That's not going to be stopped. Only the outcome can be affected. Will God's people get right? Or will they utterly be destroyed? God, you've got to do something. He's not asking God to stop the destruction. He's not asking God to fix the corruption anymore. He's asking God to give grace to the people. God, you've got to do something with your people. You've got to do something with those who say that they're following after you. God, you've got to work. And he's burdened the burden which the prophet did see. The prayer of Habakkuk upon the prophet upon Shiganoth. This emotion, this passion, this profound emotion. Lord, do something. You know, our world teaches people to be ashamed of their tears. The prophet here is weeping. Weeping, Lord, do something. You ever think maybe that's a reason why we don't have revival? It's because we don't have a burden. We don't see the need. We've lost our tears. It's more of a take it or leave it. God, bring revival. But if not, we'll be all right. You may not say that, but we act like it. It's a take it or leave it thing. God, it'd be nice. I'd like to see it. I want to see what it's like. But that's not the burden that Habakkuk had. He said, we have to have it. We have to have it. We need this. Lord, please bring Revival. Bring revival. We see the burden of revival. We also see this. The basis of revival. Where does revival come from? Where does it start? Notice with me in verse 2. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. I was afraid. You know where all this starts? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, by the way, is an emotion. Where does this emotion come from? Our knowledge of God. The more that you know Him, the more emotion you will have towards Him. There's an intimacy that comes with knowing God. Part of the problem of this world is the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 18 says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. One of the things that holds back our emotion, well, there's no fear of God. We're not afraid of Him. Afraid of His power. Afraid of what He's going to do. Afraid of what's going to, how we're going to disappoint Him if we don't get right. <laughs> you ever think about the judgment seat of Christ? You ever think of the millennial kingdom. Now we've been teaching on the millennial kingdom from time to time. Do you understand that in heaven everyone's going to be equal? But in the millennial kingdom it's not so. There are some people who will not, may I say, enjoy the millennial kingdom. Because they could not be trusted here on earth. They're not going to be trusted in the millennial kingdom. The Bible actually indicates that many of us are going to... Uh, <laughs> shine like the stars and they're going to be different magnitudes and the shining is based of our faithfulness to God in soul winning by the way in the context in Daniel and then once again in the book of first Corinthians that we shall shine and there are going to be some people who won't shine at all 
could you imagine someone born in the millennial kingdom? I need something to be asked for. I'm going to go up to a Christian who lived before. Oh, I'm not going to trust you. You're dark. Meaning not shining at all. God didn't trust you. I'm going to go find someone who will. For a thousand years, just people looking at you can tell if you are faithful to God or not. Two different passages that Jesus talks about, about saved people, is that they're going to be cast into outer darkness, not hell. But in the millennial kingdom, you're set over there. Because I couldn't trust you. You weren't faithful to me. That's quite a bit. That's not normal preaching, by the way. But do you understand? There's no fear that for a thousand years, what I do for God is going to affect the millennial kingdom. And we're satisfied with what little pitiful, pathetic service we do to God. Could you imagine? There's no fear of God before their eyes. There's no wondering, is God going to say, well done, good and faithful service? Or am I just looking, hey man, you made it, good job. I don't want to just slide into heaven. Do you know that it actually talks about in the Bible that those are going to heaven? There are two different entrances that the Bible said you can make. One of them is, oh, <laughs> you were ashamed of me on earth. I'm ashamed of you before heaven. You made it. Glad you made it. But sorry that you didn't love me enough to tell people about me. And he says, I will be ashamed of you before everything. There's no fear of God before eyes. No afraid that's going to happen. The Bible also says the reverse. Where we go up there that we were not ashamed of God. God says, hey guys, look at this. This is the one I was telling you about. This is the faithful one. Come meet him. I'd rather have that type of entrance. But you know, all that comes with the fear of God. I'm going to face him one day. And what is he going to say about my actions on earth? Well, you showed up to church several times a week. Good job. I read your Bible through once. Yay. I meant, we're going to stand before God and God wants so much from us. There's no fear of God before our eyes. And we wonder why we don't have revival. We wonder, what is the basis of revival? Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. The fear of God is not a bad thing. It is a wonderful thing. And may I say it is a necessary thing. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. May I say if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you don't have wisdom. Not biblical wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, it says in the book of Proverbs. May I say you don't have biblical knowledge if you don't have a proper fear of God. That's the beginning. That's what you build upon. Where do we get the fear of God, by the way? Our intimate knowledge of Him. And the lack of the fear of God is our lack of intimate knowledge of Him. You understand, if you had a fear of God, we don't have to say, will you please read your Bible? We don't have to beg people to show up to church. If someone had the fear of God, we don't have to beg them to get involved. It's because I love Him. I know who He is. I want to be pleasing to Him. I want Him to be happy with me. And so I'm going to do everything I can to serve Him. You understand, this is the basis of revival. Of who God 
is. We talked about the burden for revival. We see the basis of revival. One more thing I'm going to show you in this passage. The blessings of revival. The blessings of revival. Notice again in verse 2. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid, O Lord. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath. Remember mercy. What is the blessing of revival? Mercy. Mercy. You understand, God may not fix the crime. He may not fix the city. He may not fix the economy. But in the midst of judgment upon our country, God can still remember mercy and bless our ministries to help us so we can still be a blessing to others. May I give an example? During the Great Depression that hit the worldwide, but especially here in the United States and Canada, they had soup kitchens and they would have people that would get in line and get some bread and get some soup. And interesting enough, as they tried to do surveys both in Canada and the United States, they asked the people who were in line a question. Were you a faithful tither before the depression hit? And nowhere did they do this survey in Canada and the United States and all the soup kitchens. Did they ever find anyone who was in the line who was a faithful tither before the Great Depression? You know where the faithful tithers were? Running the soup kitchens. Providing for it. The same things here. The blessings of revival is that if our country falls and things go just topsy-turvy, God can still bless us in the midst of it. I'm not just talking about money. He could open up the doors where we have an influence of helping people. That we're reaching people with the gospel. That we're still moving forward when everyone else is trying to figure out what's going on. We can still see a work of God. That God is remembered in the midst of the wrath. He's showed us mercy. And the blessings. You understand, as we start looking at our country and start looking where things are, this becomes more real. We have no guarantee. We don't know what's going to happen. But what we can expect is that the more that our country falls apart, the more that we can expect God to use this little church to have an impact on the world around us. Because God is going to bring mercy upon us in the midst of the wrath. Now notice this. If we're praying for revival. If we're looking for Him. I wasn't planning on going this, but let's have some fun. Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. And let me show you something exciting. Let me show you something probably you've never seen before. Now, maybe perhaps you have. It's not like it's a secret. But notice with me in the book of Ezekiel. I'm just saying that because there's sometimes we read the Bible and we miss things. But may I show you? Let's fast forward the years. Remember Habakkuk is written about 600 A.D., Let's find, as Ezekiel is getting behind the curtain view of what is happening in Ezekiel chapter 9 in 586 B.C. I love it when God pulls back the curtain, gives us what's going on. 
And let's tie this up with a bow. Speaking about the blessings of revival. The prayer for revival. In wrath remember mercy. And let's see what happens to all the other people who are not praying for revival. Now let me give you a hint. Or a warning. This is a scary passage. But notice with me in Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 1. He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hands. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north. And every man had a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen and a writer's inkhorn by his side and they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherubs where he was. And the threshold of the house. And he was called to the man clothed with linen. And had a writer's inkhorn by his side. Notice this. Alright, let's pause here. So this is giving the spiritual view of what's happening in the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC. Spiritually what's going on is that you have these six angels that have been brought up. And God says, alright, stand there. And every one of them have a slaughter weapon in their hand. They're ready to kill. They're ready to goo God's business of destroying Jerusalem. Just like God said he did in the book of Habakkuk. But then there's one guy who's standing in the midst of them that has a writer's inkhorn in his hand. He has a pen. And God says to the guy with the pen, come here. Verse number four. And the Lord said unto him, go to the midst of the city through the midst of Jerusalem and set a mark on the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abomination that be done in the midst thereof. He says, I want you to go find those people who are praying for revival and crying for revival. Shiganoth, this great passion, this great burden. I want you to go find those men and I want you to write in their foreheads spiritually. No one else can see this, but God and those angels could. You mark those people who are praying for revival. Why? Because in wrath, God's going to show mercy to these people. And so they're going to be marked. God knows who it is that trusteth in him. Notice in verse 8. And to the others, those other men with the slaughter weapons in their hands, he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon who is the mark. Notice this next phrase, and begin at my sanctuary. The Bible talks about in the book of Peter that judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. You know where God told him to start with? My religious house. Where those people who knew better, they should be living like Christians. You start with those who say they're following me. And you start with those who are not praying for a revival. In wrath, remember mercy. Notice it goes verse 7. And he said to them, defile the house, fill the courts with the slain, go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. 
it came to pass while they were slaying them, I was left and I fell on my face and cried and said, Oh Lord God, will thou destroy all the residue of Israel in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. God doesn't see what we're doing. Why should I bother serving Him? Why should I bother following Him? He's abandoned us. He left us. Verse 10. And as for me, mine eyes shall not spare, neither will I pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. There's the wrath. God is pouring down wrath. But notice the only people that He showed mercy upon was those that were praying for revival. Notice verse 11. And behold, the man clothed with linen that had the inkhorn by his side reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou commanded me. I went and marked all those people that were praying for revival with the unfinished saying is that the other angels went and did their business. And by the way, this is what's spiritually going on in 586 BC. None of the people can see this. Ezekiel can. God is pulling back the curtain. All the people of Jerusalem know is that the Babylonians have broken through. And now they're destroying the whole city. And it seems like no one's being spared. Everyone's being tormented some way or another. But God is showing wrath or mercy in the midst of the wrath. To those who are praying for revival. We do not know what's going to happen to our country. But what we do have is God's promise. Our job is to be praying for revival, understanding that in the midst of wrath, God will show mercy. And in the midst of that mercy, God is going to use us as a blessing. He's going to put his blessings upon us that in the midst of all of this, we can still be reaching people. We can still be moving forward. We may not know and we may not necessarily have the finances, but God could still allow us to reach people without finances. He could still allow us to be encouraging and pointing people up to him even while we're going through some of the same things. You understand our burden now before it hits is to be praying for revival. We do not know when God is going to spiritually send his destroying angels out and about. We do not know what's going to happen. Now is the time for us to be praying for revival with a burden and a passion in wrath, remember mercy. No wonder here we could see Habakkuk praying with such passion, with such a burden. No wonder he said, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk did see. You understand, it is more important than ever in our stage in our country for us to be praying for revival. Remember, this revival is not to hold back the judgment that is due. It's so that way we can still be effective in the midst of the judgment that is due. Now is more important than ever. Now is for us for it to be as right with God as possible. Now is the time for us to be praying. Now is the time for us to stop playing games. Now's the time for us to stop messing around and take it seriously. Now's the time for us to be as thoroughly right with God. Remember, revival is an individual matter that can spread. We're not praying for revival as a church because God's not going to do anything to the building. We need us individuals to get thoroughly right with God. 
and it's spread to the rest of us as individuals, which doesn't just affect us at church, but will affect us at home. Are you wanting this revival? Is there something inside of you as we can see what's going on that says, I need God. In wrath, remember mercy. Lord, you have to do something. Now's the time, Lord. Please, we need revival. In wrath, remember mercy. The prayer of Habakkuk upon the Shiganoth. Revive us in the midst of these years. In wrath, remember mercy. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.